0: Alright, I find the, um, the songs that Steve selected uh, to lead us in worship today just fit so well with our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you will turn to 1 Corinthians 15, we are making our way through the book of Corinthians, we're almost done, we're almost there. Um, we're starting this morning at verse 50 to the end of this chapter. And just going through this, I was thinking, oh my goodness, we could stay in these eight verses for a long time. So I'm going to encourage you to be Bereans, to search the scriptures, and go beyond anything that I might say today, and spend time in this passage, and and realise the hope that is in it for all of us that know Christ and his salvation, that hope of destiny, it is so glorious. The message of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is this. It is this, because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, so too will all those that have found saving faith in him. Because Jesus lives, we live. This is what we've seen, isn't it, as we've been going through this chapter. Because Jesus lives, we live. Because Jesus lives, we will live with an everlasting life. Because Jesus lives, we have hope of seeing those that have died and gone before us. Because Jesus lives, we have hope in the hour of death. Because Jesus lives, we will have victory over the grave. That's worth getting excited about. That truly is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees, and this is what we've been singing this morning, this is why I'm excited, the the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the demise of death itself. Isn't that an awesome statement? Guarantees the demise of death itself. The dictionary definition of demise is the end of something that was previously considered to be powerful. The end of something that was previously considered to be powerful. I love what Isaiah chapter 25 says. Paul will quote this later in, this, in our passage. He will quote, The Lord will swallow up death in... Sorry, he, he quoted... The, Paul will quote Isaiah. Who Isaiah said, back in Isaiah 25, let me get this right. Sorry, folks. The Lord will swallow up death forever. And, and the grammar that Isaiah uses is, that the, that is in the sense that the Lord has... He saw it way back then as it has already taken place. But for you and I, we sit here and the Apostle Paul is also, when he wrote these words, was looking forward to the day coming when death will be powerless. You know, death was introduced into humanity at Adam's sin. We know that, don't we? But one day, what this chapter tells us, one day it will be eliminated by God forever. And Paul here is looking forward to that glorious day. He will proclaim in verse 54, we'll get to it, I hope, that death is swallowed up in victory. This will be true, again, for every believer when death is defeated at the resurrection. The resurrection body. We often stop and think about it, don't we? Do you? Do you ever stop and wonder about the resurrection body? We often go back to resurrection morning when Jesus was raised from the dead, and we look at Christ and we look at the things that was happening in around him. we see Jesus Christ appearing. we see Jesus Christ here, there. We see him resurrected in this glorious body, you know. And we will one day, one day likewise, be glorified. It's not a resuscitated body. Don't think that. It's not a resuscitated body. It's a new order of life where we will live forever. It's a new order of life and existence where we will never die. Sigmund Freud, remember that guy? He said a now often and famous quote when he said, and finally there is the riddle, the painful riddle of death for which no remedy has yet been found, nor probably ever will be found. What a hopeless statement that is, isn't it? You compare that futility to the conclusion and the confidence of Isaiah's triumphant call, death swallowed up forever. In this, in this passage, we'll talk about death as a sting. And at the cross, in one sense... As death is seen like a strike, a strike into Christ, injecting, if you will, the fatal venom of death into his veins. But just as a bee, we will look at this later, hopefully, just as a bee dies when it has left its sting in the wound of its victim, so too is death swallowed up in the victory of Christ. Swallowed up in the victory of his resurrection. Why? For death could not hold him. Isn't that right? It was rendered powerless by him. You know, here's the thing. I think about these things and I look at humanity and what man is constantly doing is running away. You know that? Man is constantly running away from the reality of death. You know? And the other side of that is that death is constantly chasing. And sadly men are being overcome by their own mortality. I mean, I work in the aged care industry. And it amazes me that we can go through life denying the existence of death. Isn't that amazing? Not wanting to face the reality of it, but it's looming. It's there all the time, you know, all the time. And I see it so often in the aged care industry where, you know, as, 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 as a person's mortality looms ever present upon the horizon of their life, it can become so overcoming. The mortality becomes something that is so fearful to them, you know. And mankind is, has always, always struggled with that. He's always feverishly searched for some elixir of youth. Haven't you noticed that? Throughout all the generations of man, throughout all of the different cultures, you know, and throughout all of the mythology that's developed, there's always this search within the heart of man for some sort of elixir of youth, some way to outrun death where mankind can make it himself. I thought I'd sit down and just have a look at the latest couple, you know, last night before I went to bed, you know. Right now, this is one of them. One of the fanciful hopes um, of mankind, and that is today, people believe to outrun death that they are going to, well, they're going to save themselves. They're going to win this race by saving a digital copy of of themselves. They believe that we're able to gather who we really are, the sense and the essence of who a person really is and save it onto a hard drive and then at the body's demise to be able to download that onto some form of avatar, hence obtaining immortal life. You see, that's... mm, I don't know. It's out there, yeah. It's certainly out there, you know. That's a, That's a scam. It's more than a scam because people are believing in things like that. You know, science is trying to move in that, that direction. You know, and the, and the hope is this. This is the hope, right? This is the, this is the craziness and the futility of it all. They're looking forward, thinking as mankind advances, you know, there will be ever-increasing um, new models of this avatar. Just like we're always looking for that new car and the new things and the new abilities and the new capacities that cars can do, you know. I'm still driving in my 2008 model, you know. Sometimes I get into your cars and your cars are doing things that my car never imagined. But that's how man thinks now. We will one day be doing things that could never possibly be imagined because saved somewhere in this world on a hard drive is the essence of who you are. That is folly. Absolute folly is another idea that's running the, running the, running the, the routine at the moment, you know. Scientists uh, today speak of one day creating or perfecting an enzyme that will repair the human body at the molecular, molecular level. And it, it ultimately will halt the aging process. I mean, the simplest way to look at it is that every one of you will have your own molecular repairman with his toolkit and his belt around him, running around inside your body, repairing your molecular structures, Stop aging so that you can live forever. Every generation of man, isn't that right? Every generation of man has proposed that there must be a way. There must be a way. Immortality will be ours. And they strive and they struggle. The pursuit has always gone on. But what happened is the grave keeps claiming them victim. And they refuse to see, they refuse to see that the solution, which is always before their eyes, is not in our own ability to devise devise a way, but the answer to it all, as it always has been, is in the person of Jesus Christ. Before the time of Moses, Job understood this hope. Job, I love uh, verse 25 of chapter 19. You know this. And Job would say, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last upon the earth after my skin is destroyed. This I know. This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. And he said this, Oh, how my heart yearns within me. The hope of God in man. For the day when death will be defeated. Because Christ rose. This is what Paul has been telling us. Because Christ rose and lived, so too will we rise and so too will we live. So look at verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren, this is where we're up to, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Notice what it says there. It says flesh and blood. This physical earthly body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Put simply you and i are built and equipped to exist in this physical plane right nowhere else nowhere else you know since since I was a child i've been captivated with the story of uh, the titanic always have done you know i remember as a child uh, buying a model of it from my next door neighbor i think he ripped me off i really do it was a cardboard thing it fell to pieces you know but there was something in me that despaired because even at a young age, I knew where that thing was, I could never go. I can never go. I can never walk upon its decks. So I can never find my way through those hallways that I hope sat at the bottom of the boat. Can you imagine my dis- disappointment when we finally found that thing and it split in two and it's a, it's a mess, you know? We are created to exist here, on this earth, on the surface of this earth. Do you realise they have atmospheric pressure? You have one tonne of atmospheric pressure pressing down upon you right now. Basically, a Volkswagen is sitting on your head. And you're quite comfortable, aren't you? You're quite comfortable. Let me give you an example here of, of just the... Just the, the um uh, the absoluteness of our place here on this planet. When you talk about atmospheric pressure, your body is divine, to, designed to cope with that. God put us here so that we could cope with one ton of atmospheric pressure pressing down upon us without even being aware of it. But here's the thing: if you were unfortunate enough to find yourself in the vacuum of space, without a spacesuit and without a Without a spaceship you, know, you would quickly notice <laughs> this would be really quick, by the way. You know, you, you would you would, quickly, you would quickly notice that you were starting to bloat up, to blow up. you know why? Because the small pockets of air that are trapped inside your body now are being freed from the pressure of the atmospheric pressure that you were created to design and live in. And, and all of a sudden it will start expanding and you will start to expand your eardrums will immediately rupture and all sorts of other things will start to you know it's not going to look pretty it's not going to look pretty at all and since gas we are told escapes from liquid much more easily at lower pressure the liquid in your body and we are mostly liquid aren't we we know that the liquid within your body is going to start to boil can you imagine? You might even get a sense of this if you were suddenly dropped outside of your spaceship in space. You might get a sense of this because immediately the, the, the saliva on your tongue is going to begin to boil. Imagine that. It's going to boil, you know. You know. But there's some good news. As I said, it won't last long. You know. Yes, you're swelling up. You won't actually explode. Do you want to know this stuff? You won't actually explode because, you know, your skin has great elasticity, you know. So you will blow up pretty quickly. But I guess the best news is you won't survive long enough to realise that the blood in your veins is boiling. You won't survive that long. Again, no more details of that. But you and I, in our present state, are designed and fitted for this physical world we're not fitted for the eternal but ours is more than just a physical problem isn't it so much more than just a physical problem our bodies are defiled by sin and cannot enter into heaven these bodies are corruptible and anything corruptible cannot Inherit that which is incorruptible. We have to be made different. We have to be changed. Sin, the Bible tells us, has separated us from God. Has separated us from God. We simply can't exist. You know this. We simply can't exist in the presence of a holy God any more than we can exist in the vacuum of space. If we're going to go there, If we're going to go into the presence of God, these bodies need to be changed. That's why in earlier verses, Paul used the analogy of the seed. Remember that? The seed having died, it was then buried in the ground. But again, that which came out of the ground was completely different from the seed that was placed in the ground. We are told that the believer will inherit a new body after that sense, by the sense of resurrection Suited for heaven. So Jesus came first to this earth in his first incarnation to deal with our sin. He will come in the second incarnation to what? To deal with our bodies. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. We quote it all the time from John chapter 14. I don't believe that's a big house in heaven. I personally believe that's got to do with the the body that Christ is preparing for us. And I believe it's directed and connected directly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's going to be amazing. If we're going to be there, and we're going to be there, right? These bodies must be changed. Must be changed. Now, verse 50 says there, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Notice carefully, it doesn't say flesh or blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And the point is this, again, looking at our, that's my granddaughter. The point is this, looking at our bodies, what fuels your body? Where's the life of your body found? Leviticus chapter 17, what does it tell us in verse 11? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Yeah, our bodies are fueled by the blood that is pumped by the heart through them. But the resurrection body will not be a natural body. It will not be fueled by blood, rather a spiritual body empowered by the spirit of God. And in verse 44 says, it is sown a natural body, we'll get there, but it is raised a spiritual body. Yes, we'll have flesh. Yes, we will, but it won't be flesh like you've got right now. Not like we have right now. Our identity will remain the same. As 1 Corinthians 13 says, you will be known even as you are known, you know, but our bodies will be changed. Remember the resurrection of Christ? Remember he appeared to his disciples on that first night after the resurrection? The women had seen Christ by the tomb. They went back and reported back to the the disciples that he is risen. They didn't believe. They thought the women were crazy. There must have been multiple trips, don't you think, that day back and forth from the tomb. You know, two of the disciples left. They left Jerusalem. They were stopped on the way by a stranger who we know turned out to be Christ. Resurrected Christ. But that night, that night, the disciples are gathered together in that upper room, wherever it was, and Jesus suddenly appears to them. I like it that he says, be at peace, because they weren't at peace. They were terrified. They were terrified by what they saw. But what did Jesus say? He says, look at me, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and Bone, it doesn't say flesh and blood, but a spirit has not flesh and bone, as you see that I have, says the resurrected Christ. And the scripture says, if we, if we, if we die in Jesus, we likewise will be raised from the dead in a body like his. 1 Corinthians 15:49. If you just look back at that verse, it says, We will bear the image. Heavenly man, which is Jesus Christ. We have born and right now we bear the image of the earthly man, he says, but then we will bear the image of the heavenly man like Jesus Christ. And again, in 1 John chapter 3, we know that verse so well, it says, we don't know what we're going to be like, but all we know is that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we'll behold him as he is. We will be like him. That's our hope. So this is the human condition. This is the human condition. And this is what we've read so far. To get a new body, to be free from this decaying, dying, defiled body, to, to, to receive the new body equipped for the eternal, so far we've read we have to die. Therefore, death, what does it become? It becomes something not really to be feared, does it? Death becomes a door, becomes a door of hope for those who know the Lord. It allows the spirit to be freed from the prison of a corrupted, fallen body to await the day for that day of resurrection from the grave to be changed into glorious image of Christ. We have to die. We have to die. But this gives rise to another question for those Corinthian believers. If you have to die to get this new body, then what about the living? What about the living? Remember, Jesus promised that he's going to come back. He's going to come back. So the question is, what happens to that generation that is alive when he returns? Very well could be us. Do you agree? Very well could be us. So what happens to us who have not died that are still in these corrupted bodies when Jesus Christ returns to this earth? What does he say? He answers that. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Remember that verse of Job? Job talking about a time when he, in his, his, he said his flesh will, 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 will... What did he say? W- w- it stuck. His flesh... Will die, but he knows the day will come. See, Job expected to die, and all the saints of old expected to die. It's the way to heaven. But Paul now says to a generation that is expecting to be alive at the return of Christ Behold, I show you a mystery. In the New Testament, A biblical mystery is a truth that has been hidden, but now it is being revealed. So this is something, again, that the prophets of old, that the patriarchs, that the priests of old, of the Old Testament, they never knew what is about to be said. It's been said for you and I. It's been said for us, you know. Here the mystery revealed... that there are those that expected to go to the grave without exception. But the mystery revealed is that it will not be so for one generation. See, this is something to be excited about. This truly is. He says, behold, look at that verse 51. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die but we shall be changed. See, I love this. I, I have a little exercise for this, you know. Over the years, you've seen me do it often up here. It's a little exercise that goes something like this, you know. It's a little upward exercise. We don't need to do it. People have said to me oh, after the service when I've done that, they said, oh, no, he's done it again. Oh, no, he's going to do it again. We don't need to exercise in a physical sense for this this, uh, this truth, I get excited about this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is die, but we shall all be changed. Think about it. Not every believer will pass through death. You're sitting in this room. You may not die physically. Again, can you think about that? No final sickness. Who has stood at the bedside of someone you love that is in their final sickness? The disease or whatever it is that's taken their life. What a traumatic experience. No final sickness. Who has ever gone through the trauma, the trauma of preparing a funeral service for a loved one? It's horrendous, isn't it? All of the emotion. All of the loss. All of the grief. So often guilt attached to it. It's horrendous, you know. Think about it. No final sickness. No funeral. No headstone with your name upon it. No one mourning your loss. You You may... Not go the way of the grave. I think we should think about that. But rather, he says here in verse 52 in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We all know 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, don't we? It rings very familiar to what Paul is saying here. I'll just quickly read it. You can turn there if you like. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to start in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain... Until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be always with the Lord. Dead or alive, we will be changed. And notice how we're going to be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet of God shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, we that are alive. see, this is not describing a process. It's describing an instantaneous recreation. When, When in a moment... That word "moment" that is used there is the Greek word "atomos." We get our English word "atom" from it, and it carries with it the idea of something that is so minute that it cannot be divided. And so, it's describing the shortest conceivable quality of time that cannot be divided—in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Not a wink. Not a wink. But can you imagine the flash of light hitting the surface of somebody's eyes? Scientists tell us, have established that the blink of an eye takes one thirtieth of a second. Do you want to time it? Ready? Everybody, let's go. One thirtieth of a second. That's a wink. But the twinkle of an eye takes place at the speed of one ten thousandth of a second. In that instantaneous moment of time, you and I, Christian, will be changed. Jesus will come in the clouds above this earth and he will call us home. We will be taken by force, in a sense, from this earth. He's redeemed people to be with him. He says the dead will rise from the graves first. To receive their resurrected bodies and the living saints, you and I, if this happens for our generation, will instantaneously be changed and we will all go together to meet the Lord in the air and there we will be with him forever. That's our destiny. Would you think about it? Would you spend time ruminating on this? If you would, you will get excited you really will in that moment think about it again believers all over the world going through life following Christ many of them living in the fullness of Christ's provision many experiencing the wonderful the wonder of God's blessing but also think about this there will be many that will be struggling many believers suffering many believers stressed. many believers despairing it's a reality isn't it in this world Many being persecuted for their faith. Right now as we speak. And even then it will be the same. Some in the grip of places like where I work. Some in the grip of dementia. Some suffering from mental illness. Some you know, in the depths of depression. I don't want to focus on those things. But that's going to be the reality. Some of them on their very deathbeds. With but a breath left. But before that breath is expelled in that moment, in that next moment, they, with all of us, will be in air with Christ in glorious new bodies. Can you be excited about that? No more trial, no more pain, no more suffering. Perfect, higher, even above the, the, the created angelic beings, glorified in the image of Christ. Think about it. You know what I believe? I believe that many of our prayers for those people, many of our prayers, if we are that generation who we pray for to be delivered, I believe many of our prayers are going to be answered in that moment, right? Isn't that right? What a wonderful hope. It's the blessed hope, Titus tells us, of the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He will appear and we will be like him. It's often, said, the goal, it's often been said, the goal is perfection, but the plan is progress, right? You've heard me say it so many times. Day by day, progress as a Christian realizes incremental changes, doesn't it? You know, we think, oh Lord, just get me through this. Just set me free from this. You know, just help me, Lord. I am sick and tired of this besetting sin, Lord God. Set me free. Give me strength. Deliver me. You know, and often in hindsight, you know, after after 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, I know people that have been serving the Lord for 70 years. They'll look back and and they'll see, oh yeah, look how far the Lord's brought me. Look how far the Lord has changed me. And we're taken to Corinthians where Corinthians, you know, we have been changed from glory to glory. As we behold his glory into that self-same image, the image of Christ day by day, but the progress is incremental, isn't it? The plan is progress but the goal is perfection. We long for real change, don't we? Real change. And we want to see this corruption put on incorruption. corruption. It's coming, brothers and sisters. It's coming for all of us. It's been a good while, hasn't it? It's been a good while, as I look around this room, since some of us said, yes, Lord Jesus, be my Lord, be my savior, forgive me of my sins come into my heart. Fill me, lead me, direct me in the ways of righteousness. Help me to live this life upon this earth. And we look up at Jesus every day as we take up our cross and we follow him. I know I'm repeating myself over and over again, but the time is coming. The day is coming. Soon, I believe, when the last trumpet will be sound, and we will be gone. Gone. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You know that word put on there was commonly used for someone putting on clothes, putting on garments. Our redeemed spirits will put on redeemed bodies and we will then be, here it is. This is, the, this is the goal. We will then be complete. Complete. Our redemption will be complete. So, with me, will you? Verse 54. So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more, death has no more dominion over him. In other words, death is not the master over Jesus. Christ, death, puts sin to death. This is what Paul is saying. And in rising from the dead, from the grave, he put death to death. It's hard to say, isn't it? He put death to death. No, it's not hard to say. It's wonderful to say. He put death to death. Today, right now, and I've said this, but right now, death still brings pain, doesn't it? We still have to visit the cemetery. But Christian, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear it. Again, because the day is coming when death shall be swallowed up in victory, we will be changed and death, the enemy of our soul, will finally face the reality of its own demise. Power will be taken and it will die. But you know, Christ's victory is even greater than that. He, just, he doesn't just halt the death He doesn't just stop its effect upon our lives But he takes back from death All its previous victories Jesus will go back through all of the ages of humanity And all of those that have found saving faith in him And everything will be restored To its wonderful redemptive glory Everything. So he just doesn't defeat death. He destroys it and then takes back every victory that it's ever had in the history of humanity. That's why we will read in the end of Revelation, and the former things will not be remembered. In a new heaven and a new earth. And that is why he says here, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? I think he's quoting from Hosea there. But you know what? O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? You know what? It's a taunt. It's a boastful taunt. That's what Paul is doing here. As as I began saying, when a bee stings you, it leaves a sting Sting, it's sting in the victim and it only can sting once. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Oh death, where is your sting? He's asking death a question. It's a taunting question and I will end with this this morning. Paul is looking into the face of death with no fear and with a taunting question. He's asking it, where is your sting? Death can only answer one thing. Only one thing. Death can only say this, my sting was put into Christ, into Jesus Christ on Calvary's mount, 2,000 years ago. And he can only say to you and I, because it went into him, it cannot go into you. It cannot go into us. It's the only answer that death has at the moment. And the day will come when it cannot reply because it will face its demise. Do you remember what this book was all about? Do you remember what this chapter was all about? This chapter was written because there were believers then that were doubting the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They said to Paul at the beginning, there is no resurrection. You know what he says to them at the end? There is no death. How glorious is that? There is no death. Can you say it with me? There is no death to the child of God. No death. Will you go home? And will you ruminate on that? Will you think about that this week? Will you get excited about that? Will you share that with someone? Will you tell someone in your family, someone that you love, someone that's struggling with the reality of this life and and someone that is worried about the consequences of their life and where they may be going? Can you tell them there's only one really important thing? And that is victory in Jesus Christ. Sin and death have been defeated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know there's so much more depth to this passage. There's so much more that needs to be said. But Lord, I pray that you would ignite our hearts today. And not only us, but wherever the child of God is in this world, when the lie of the devil and his hatred for humanity blinds their heart and their mind about temporal things and consumes them with concerns for this world, for them and for us, Lord, would you remind us that we are only passing through? And would you remind them, Lord, would you remind us, Lord, that our heads should be lifted high, knowing that our Saviour is coming and that a trumpet is going to be sounded. And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together, together with them into the air. Remind us of this promise, Lord. Remind us every day, Father, that today could be our day how glorious it is, how wonderful it is. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. I think that's worth worshipping God for, don't you? Let's, Let's do that together.